Brother Joe, as he comes and shares the word of God this morning. Can you hear me now? Awesome. Well, good morning. Um, I want to say uh, thanks for having us. Uh, we really appreciate it. And over the last couple weeks, as I've been able to get uh, to know your uh, pastor, just the amazing love that he has for you all, and then the uh, how he communicated your love for one another uh, and for the body of Christ, uh, it, it's pretty neat to, to see. Um, sometimes we get stuck in the church that where we are, and we forget about the rest of the body. And um, so it's, re- it's really good for us to be able to get out and, and meet other folks and uh, get to know you all um, and see how the rest of the body is doing. Because um, we've only been in a couple churches in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. Uh, so uh, it's, it's been really good, and I really appreciate the spirit here. I was thinking back in the, uh, I was telling my children that the very first church that I ever really attended uh, in high school, it was a church that my great-great-uncle planted in the 70s in Pensacola, Florida, in an old moose lodge, and it had wood paneling. It was like a double-wide trailer that they had added on to and added on to, and it was a moose lodge. It had the wood paneling and the green shag carpet, and the pews were green. They were the wood oak pews uh, with the uh, with the matching green, like that avocado green. Uh, um, and so the first time we attended, there were probably 20 people in the congregation, and that included our family as we were attending. And, uh, uh, and we actually uh, all became believers there. And then uh, to see my wife, or my, my wife, my sister, then became the wife of the, of the pastor there. That He was not the pastor at the time that we were there, but uh, ended up marrying. And that church is actually, it no longer exists, but this really feels like that home. You know, we go to a, a, a much, uh, it's a larger church, and sometimes you have even trouble distinguishing who's on the other side and do you know these people but just the spirit of family uh, and everything here. Uh, so you're, we appreciate that. Uh, your pastor was also telling me this week that, um, that he was talking up uh, the fact that I had been in the military um, to you all and that uh, you, you all were interested in hearing a bunch of military stories. Um, and I always, I always kind of grimace when I hear that. Um, one, the reason I joined the military, it wasn't a very honorable one. Um, one, I needed money. Uh, and two, like I was going through a hard time in my own life that um, uh, that I was convinced the Lord was doing a poor job of getting me out of, right? So I said, I'm going to go fix it myself, and I joined the Army. Um, and then it was actually, it was my whole pursuit to do things better than the Lord could do in my life that caused me to do all of the things that I had done. Uh, in the military. Um, my philosophy at the time, and it was so prevalent in my life that I was dumb enough to have it tattooed on my back, uh, was never satisfied. And so that was my philosophy. Nothing was good enough. Nothing was uh, going to be great enough. I was not going to have enough. I wasn't uh, going, there wasn't going to be enough adventure. I always wanted what was next. And so, and that was really how I got to where I was uh, in, in the military. Um, I never found anything that seemed to be too difficult. I always enjoyed it, uh, to be quite honest. I enjoyed all of the things I was able to do in the military. 
I enjoyed um, I enjoyed going to war. Um, I would say if I learned anything through that time, though, it was that just how gracious uh, the Lord had been to me in choosing and providing my spouse, my family. Um, I have them here with me today. I have uh, my wife Rachel. Hello. Um, I have not in order, but I <coughs> Jude is down there, uh, the man cub. Uh, he is five, and then Marcella is next to him, and she is eleven. Will be twelve in November, and then I have uh, Madeline. She is on the end, and she is uh, she will be driving this year. So I know, right? We're not old enough, right? Um, yep. So she is. Uh, she's fifteen. She'll be. We're still kind of weighing that whether or not we're going to get the the driver's permit since we're actually leaving for Mexico in January. There's a new class starting in January. We hope to be there when they start. Um, so, so that is them. Um, you know, all, all of the, the introduction to say that, you know, I, I always get asked for military stories. Um, I had a good job in the military. Um, I had a lot of fun. I, I'm just not super proud of the things that I did while I was in the military. It was actually, um, well, I had a lot of good fun. I'm very nostalgic. Um, I can't watch a war movie. You know, and, or or a scene where someone visits a friend in a in a cemetery, um, you know, without welling up or becoming emotional. Uh, it, it was good for me in this. When I was out, not being satisfied, you know, it was uh, it was the picking up of of a friend of mine's dead body and loading it onto a helicopter, looking down on his face. Um, that was almost unrecognizable, not because of mutilation or anything, but just because the dead looked different. And looking down on him and realizing that, Dan, you're in hell. Seeing his body there, but knowing his spirit uh, was in hell. And then recognizing in that moment that I knew truth, but I was so interested in myself um, that I never shared that truth with Dan and we were out being unsatisfied together, um, chasing glory and honor and, uh, and the things that, uh, that soldiers chase on our own. Uh, and so it took a couple years after that for us to finally, for the Lord to, to, to move for full circle to get out of the military. Um, we began as a, uh, we were working with the youth group in our church in North Carolina where we attended, my wife was a school teacher there, and we attended uh, while I was in the military. Uh, and then one day the pastor came and said, hey, why don't you leave the military and, and uh, be the youth pastor for our church. And so that's what moved us out of uh, the military uh, and into um, full-time gospel work, I guess. Uh, when we eventually moved out here, uh, for a short time I was the pastor over at uh, Calvary Bible Church. It's right down the road off of Manor, uh, and then we moved, and then for the last three years, we have, I've been uh, counseling veterans um, through uh, the Bakersfield Vet Center as a PTSD and readjustment counselor for veterans that are returning off of active duty, um, and then for the last year, I've been running uh, all of the programs and outreach for the Wounded Heroes Fund here in town. 
So I don't know if you see the billboards or catch on Facebook or the news or things like that, all the things that are going on for, for the veterans here in town, but that's us. Uh, and it's been a great pl- privilege to do that. Uh, we get lots of opportunities to share the gospel and to speak into the lives of, of, uh, of veterans as they come back. Uh, my wife's had the opportunity to deliver one of their babies this year. Um, and so it's been a great ministry opportunity. Um, but hopefully with what I'll share with you today, we've just sensed the Lord uh, moving us over the last uh, six months or so, um, really uh, because our, our heart is really just to be in the full-time ministry. Um, and then hopefully uh, what we'll share through the Word today, I guess hopefully we'll communicate that. Um, so w- with all of that being said, uh, turn with me to Matthew 28. Um, And we will begin in Matthew 28, verses uh, 16 through 20. No doubt you have all heard uh, this passage preached over and over and over again. Um, But I am a simple man, and so we are going to keep it simple. You know, by and large, what's the translation everybody's using? ESV. ESV? Okay. Then we will read from the ESV. So I have an ASB here and I have an ESV on my... So that's why I asked. Okay, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, you are king. You are to be glorified, and it's us that are to submit to you. Help us to do that today. Help us to learn from your word. Help us to submit to the authority of your word. And then help us to to take what we hear and what we resolve to do from your word today. Help us to take it out those doors. And to see your gospel proclaimed in Bakersfield and in Kern County and amongst every tribe and nation uh, in the world so that you would be glorified uh, in a big, big way, in the only way that you deserve to be. Uh, Be with your servant now as I attempt to communicate, as I give a sense of what it is you have written down for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, I am a military man, and try as I may, I just can't not shake thinking linearly. I think very clear-cut. I believe in authority. I believe in having purpose and meaning, and I believe that the Bible uh, upholds all of these things and communicates these things to us. And while I recognize the influence of a postmodern and post-Christian culture in my own thinking, 
I find myself lost, confused, and longing uh, when there is a lack of direction and ambiguity is the majority influencer in my life. Our postmodern culture in the United States has adopted the banner of you only live once, right? YOLO. I had to look up what that meant. But. Or chive on, right? So you better get out there and spend as much money as you can, enjoy all you can, take what is there, and live this life to the fullest. That's sort of the, the mantra of which, um, especially our younger um, millennial generation live, is it not? <coughs> well, at the same time, The church, that is both the individual members and the body as a whole, are in constant pursuit of the will of God. Wouldn't you agree? We're constantly seeking a sign or an open door or a groomed path to accomplish His planned purpose for our personal lives, our church, and our world. We are convinced that God's will can only be deduced from a feeling, a supernatural moving of the Spirit, or a special gifting, or even the sought-after handwriting on the wall. Are we not always looking for these things? We've been influenced by Christian mystics and authors to be on constant lookout for the personal one-on-one communication with the Lord. One such mystic recalls an account where he was injured while riding his horse. And he attributed his accident to two things. One, not asking the Lord where to ride his horse, since afterwards he concluded that it was going past this particular woodpile that caused his horse to spook. And number two, he attributed it to not praying over the horse long enough in order to bring it under the authority and kingdom of Jesus Christ and to bring down peace upon the animal by binding fear and rebellion. This is really nothing more than divination and spellcasting, is it not? This overly mystical theology of God and postmodern philosophy of who can know truth has crept in and caused us to fail to recognize that God, through His Son and witnessed by the Spirit, has declared His will for the church, for His people. We are able to see it through the Old Testament, the New Testament and alive in the church today. He left it in writing so that when we are distracted by the cares of this world and influenced by the mystics, we can be corrected by submitting ourselves to and the applying of his word. Turn to Psalm 22. We were just there. Um, but Psalm 22, 27 through 28. Does it not say, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord? And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. This is his will. Amen. Romans 1.5, Paul picks up on this and he says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all of the nations. Instead, our postmodern values and our mystical moorings have enabled us to regard the commands of Scripture as suggestive rather than authoritative. As in the commands of Scripture are for us, 
They're intended to be read by us and applied to us. Inherited by us just as real as the promise of adoption and protection. So if I communicate anything to you today through the word, this is what I hope to communicate. I hope to leave you with the idea that God has revealed his will for the church in his word and it is timeless and it has not changed and it is just as much for you and for me today as it was for the apostles and the disciples and the followers of the first century. In the army, anytime you have a mission, anytime you do anything in the military, they call it a mission. And so anytime you go on a mission, uh, any, anything that's conducted, all of the instructions for your mission, how many military folks do I have in here? Any of you served? So you're going to understand this well. Anytime you do anything in the military, they put it underneath what is called an operations order. In this op ord or operations order, you'll find everything, all the information for uh, the terrain of where you're going, the intelligence on the enemy, the instructions uh, for uh, who is to conduct the necessary training for the mission, where you would pick up your ammo, where, what type of uniform you would wear, down to if whether or not you would wear a belt. Every single thing is in this operations order. It contains everything. Now, as important as all of that information is, there's one piece of the operations order that is the most critical piece of all of it. And this thing, they call it five paragraphs, but a typical op order is probably um, 20 to 40 pages long. But the most critical piece is the mission statement. Within that mission statement, you will find the commander's intent This single line statement of the commander's intent exists so that so that in the event that everything collapses, everybody dies, everything fails to happen the way it's supposed to happen. A single soldier of the lowest rank can still fulfill the commander's intent, thereby making the mission a success. I believe that within Matthew 28, uh, where we find the Great Commission, we also find the mission statement for the church and the intent of Christ for his people. So Matthew 28 for us is the clearest, the most succinct command uh, for the church and its body. I dare say that it's the mission statement, and it's revealed in three, uh, in three real points, right? So we'll see, we're going to go over, we have the, the mission of the church, we have the method in which we accomplish that mission, and then we have the motivation uh, for the mission. So let's go back Uh, to Matthew 28 and we're going to begin in verse 18 verse 18 go therefore and make disciples of all nations the first thing to note here is that verb um, in the mission that the mission is the verb make disciples it's to make It's Matteo. We are to reproduce ourselves in love and devotion to Christ as in individuals and church bodies that are looking to Jesus in faith for the substitutionary atonement of their sin. Disciples observe all that Jesus has commanded 
That is, they love one another. They serve Christ and Christ alone. They forsake faulty worldviews and they cling to the work of Christ. That is what a disciple does. By many accounts, this is what our churches, at least locally that we know, are endeavoring to do today. We're making disciples in our local area through Bible studies and personal witnessing through VBS and children's programs. As a body, we are saturating our local area with a gospel witness. We cannot go probably two more blocks without finding another church. The the area is saturated with well-intentioned Bible-believing folks that want to see their families and their neighbors and their loved ones come to Christ. They want to see uh, disciples made uh, by those around them. While most churches focus on the local aspect of discipleship, there are two very important words in this command that surround, that are either side of this. First, let's look at the word go. To begin verse 19, he says, Go, therefore... And make disciples. Our mission is one of action. Not only are we to be making disciples among those that are around us, we are to be going, actively seeking to make disciples of all nations. So look at the other side of make disciples. Of all the nations. All the the ta etne. All people groups. These are not nations in the sense that we think of nations. These are smaller people groups of their own language and culture and customs. Go to Revelation uh, chapter number 5 with me, would you? Verse number 9. We pick up a better idea of, uh, uh, of just how small uh, a people group uh, this is. Typically when we think of nations nowadays, you know, we think of the U.S., we think of Mexico, we think of China, we think of Russia, we think of these large bodies, we think of um, even places like India. What we fail to recognize is that within these areas, um, you know, I was, in, I was in Afghanistan a few times, and I remember just being in one town, and you could pick up um, five different languages being spoken in that one town. Those five different languages are five different nations represented right there. Revelation 5.9 we read, And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed for God from... You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people, and nation. We we see the scope of the mission, don't we? God is not satisfied with us staying local. His mission, His purpose for you was to think much, much bigger because He is so big. Only he could be satisfied with a mission so great. But to see the entire, all of the people groups of the world submit to him. Yet today, there are under conservative estimates, um, and, and you'll, you'll hear people 
in, in the missions world argue about this, but under the most conservative estimates, there are roughly 3,200 people groups, nations, ethne, that we just read about here in uh, Matthew 28. 3,200-ish completely sovereign nations. They have their entire own language, their own culture, their own people, their own system of government, uh, their own way of doing things that have never, not once, ever heard the name of Jesus and would not even understand the name if you tried to explain it to them right now. That's hundreds of millions of people without a chance to hear the gospel. Now that's beyond the 3.9 billion who currently have a witness in their nation but have no church. So there are small pockets and small teams of missionaries all over the world that are working, trying to gain entrance into these people groups in the billions. Think of those numbers. They're staggering and humbling, aren't they? But please don't hear what I'm saying, what I'm not saying. I'm not here to guilt you into missions. I'm not here to chastise anyone for making disciples of their neighbors, their family, or friends. But with the scripture before us, it has set the parameters of our mission, has it not? While we should stay engaged locally, that is not the whole mission of the church. We are to go and we are to engage and make disciples of all the ethnes, all the people groups of the world. No doubt the mission is big, but does our God deserve any less? Could there be anything else that is worthy of his greatness? As Americans, there are a million reasons why we would not want to go. There are a million reasons to spend all of our time and our resources on the local mission. But this does not reflect the glory of our God. A God, if you remember, who was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking up the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, our God is a goer. He did not stay in heaven and send out decrees from the clouds. He came out. He infiltrated a people group. He became one of them. He learned their language, he learned their customs, and he communicated to them in a way that they would understand, in a way that they would appreciate, and in a way that they would be able to respond. And then he told them, go and do what I have just done. He did this so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Of God the Father. I mean, let's face it, it's not easy to pick up life and go to a new country and to learn two or three different languages, which is really what we're talking about if we're going to reach all of the unreached people groups, right? Because you would have to learn the, whatever the, 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 the regional, the, the, um, the trade languages in that area, and then beyond that, go in and find the unreached people group and then learn their particular language. 
So you're talking at a minimum before you even get to share the gospel five to six years. This is not a light thing. It's not a light thing to leave your family and to raise your own family among a foreign people group, among a hostile people group where sickness and disease are everywhere. I'm not going to belittle you by citing statistics about the number of gospel opportunities that Americans have. (coughs) I just want to leave you with one. Each person that lives in an unreached people group, so those hundreds of millions of people, they currently have 0% chance of responding to the gospel. You see, in the U.S., in most of the world, we're dealing with people that have rejected the gospel. I'm talking about God's mission for us is to reach people that have never even had a chance to reject the gospel. Not to build on someone's foundation, as Paul said in Romans, but to preach and to bring a new life and a new spirit to a people that have never heard. Number two, he gave us his method. The second half of verse 19 and into 20, he says... Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. What does that sound like? It sounds an awful lot like a local church, doesn't it? It it sounds an awful lot um, like what we do here together. We come, we meet, we encourage each other with the word. We take communion together in order to rehearse the gospel and remind each other what it was that Christ did on the cross for our sins. We baptize each other to identify with the body of Christ. And then we exhort each other uh, through the word. And we pray through scripture for one another to encourage one another to stay in submission to God the Father. That is our method. We don't go simply to evangelize the people We go to make full disciples of individuals and people by building up local churches, by establishing local churches. It is once that we have built up a people to the point where they are baptizing believers, participating in communion, and encouraging one another in the word and prayer that the mission has been accomplished. This is not a water project. It is not famine relief. It is not construction of a school or building of houses for the homeless. While all of these things may be used to the spread of the gospel, the main method of the church is to bring about the disciples. To bring about disciples is through the establishment of the local church. Christ said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the local church. He did not say the social services or the good deeds of well-intentioned folks. Number three, he gave us the motivation. Here in verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority, the same authority that created the heavens and the earth. The authority... Uh, that created the earth, the seas, and the stars, the same authority that gave birth to life and breath into our souls. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things are held together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That authority. It's with this authority that the power of Jesus assures, uh, Jesus assures the church that he will, we will not be alone as we seek to continue God's will and purpose for the world. Read with me the last part of verse 20. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. I am convinced that many of us spend so much time in prayer or contemplation, right? Seeking to understand perfectly the will of God because we do not want to fail. But let me assure you, That if you are doing the will of God, you will not and cannot fail. We have the assurance of the supreme commander of the universe that our mission will be fully funded, fully equipped, and fully endorsed by the one that matters. He gave God's word that it will be so. Go to Matthew 16, verse number 13 through 20. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, "Who do people say that the son of man is?" And they asked, or they, and they said, "Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets." He said to them, "But who do you say that I am?" Simon Peter replied, Simon always replied, didn't he? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock, referring to himself, Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whether you and, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples that he should tell no one that he was the Christ. Christ's promise for us is that his church will be built among the nations. Our motivation should be that Christ saw fit to reveal his gospel to you place you in a local church that cares for you and loves you and teaches you and admonishes you and tells you when you're wrong the motivation should be that you would then in return get on God's plan go to the nations make sure that the nations have a gospel voice and are able to participate in a local church in the same way that you do because it will happen the gates of hell those are offensive terms we are not on the defense God is on the offense and hell is will not be able to stand the bombardment Amen. 
will we, are we motivated to be part of that force? Paul also provides two motivations for us. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to read um, probably... We're going to probably look around 14 and 15, right? 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. That's because I'm in 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. And verse number uh, 13. I'm going to start in 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. It has always been, it has always been the pattern that when someone believes... They speak, which is how we make disciples of our neighbors and our families and our friends and those that walk into our doors. But it is also the way in which we make disciples of the nations. We must speak. We also believe. And so we also speak, knowing this, that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Motivation one from Paul is that we're saving them from hell. Those that we bring onto, into faith in Christ through the preaching of the gospel among the nations, they will be saved from hell through their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We will see them on that day. Motivation number two, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, listen to this, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Motivation one is that we'll see people saved. Motivation two is that God's glory grows bigger every time another nation and people group bows the knee to Jesus. And the gospel is proclaimed in that tongue. Paul understood that there would be a high price to pay to accomplish the will of God though. In fact, he insisted that we participate in the suffering of Christ in order to accomplish the will of God. This is why he could say in Romans, uh, in Romans chapter number 8, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Further down in chapter number 8, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? as we are on mission for Him. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Who is to condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, it was he who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for my, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, which is God's mission. That men, that the ethnics, that the nations would be joined to God through the gospel, through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is his mission for you. Our motivation should be that no matter how hard it is, no matter how tough it is, it will be accomplished one day. The will of God has been revealed. The will of God will not be thwarted. He will build his church and will receive the magnitude of glory that only he deserves. The question is, is will we participate in the mission? You know, I hear all the time, people come up to me all the time and said, yeah, I was going to join the military. But I, I decided to go to college. Which is great. College is great. Um, I got a job or I got married. What they're really expressing to me is a regret of something they had never participated in. And one, they just want me to know, hey, they were willing that something better came along or something they didn't think they could leave. When we stand on that day face to face, we should not be the ones that say, God, I was going to do it. But that job came along. School came along. You don't understand. My family was there. They came along. The question is, will we participate in his mission? Will we go? Will we send? Will we finance? Will we support? Will we rearrange our lives to be in line with the mission of God? Will we send our children valid question how will you feel about your life on this day Revelation 7 and verse 9 after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. That is reality. How will you feel on that day? Father, thank you for using me despite my weakness to bring about this moment in time. 
Our Father, forgive me for never being satisfied with the things of this world. In this passage, Paul, the Apostle John gives us a glimpse of what worship in heaven will look like. It will look like people from every group of every nation, of every tongue, of every tribe, of every family in the entire world gathered to worship the Creator the way He intended in the garden. The Bible has made it very clear that God will not be satisfied until there are people from every group, every people group represented in His heaven. This is the glory that He deserves. Look, the gospel to the glory of God is mobile. The gospel to the glory and the satisfaction and the comfort of me is static. That's it. God has given us the mission. It is to go to make disciples of all the nations. He's given us the method. We are to build, plant, and build churches. And he's given us the motivation that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess and at the throne of the Lamb representatives from every people, every nation, every group, every language will worship Jesus. Are we really on mission with Christ? Father, you have set uh, the mission. You have set the requirements. You have given us our motivation. And we thank you for revealing your gospel to us in what in this room I'm sure is a million different ways. But you did it through your word and you did it through a language that we understand. And we thank you for that. I pray, as you pray, that the gospel would be spread amongst the nations, that you would be glorified from every tribe and every tongue and every people group, that your gospel workers would be empowered and that their efforts would be strong and they would be fruitful even now. In Jesus' name.